Okay, so some of you have been doing this for a while, but you'll know that yay moment when the new box of sim gear arrives and you can't wait to plug it in. But as a newbie, when you decide to take it to the next level and crack open that new box of gear, where do you go from there? For the sake of this episode, let's say I've already driven, tested, raced the computer, found the limits, found the scenery, and done enough laps that when I've gone to bed, the sound of an MX-5 is ringing in my ears. But now I want to go faster. Upgrading wheels and pedals can help, but what about setting up that right amount of force feedback and that rabbit hole that is car setup? Then again, it's not just car setup, there's also racecraft. Oh, and our first tip, get off that office chair. If you want to help shave seconds from your lap times, get a decent seat. Welcome to eRacing X, a podcast dedicated to bringing you some news, information and an insight into what the virtual racing world is all about. Welcome everybody to E-Racing X. On the line with us is uh, Nathan Huppets. How you going, Nathan? Pretty good, Nev. How are you going tonight? Yeah, excellent. And I've got Byron Clark because uh, Andrew's not feeling too well. So I've got oh, Byron Clark filling in for us tonight. How are you going, Byron? I'm good, thank you. And how are you? Excellent. Tonight we're going to be still a bit of a tension of last week, talking about, again, more setup, which I'll get into later. And we're just going to be a little bit more getting some nitty gritties and also give someone a bit of an understanding when they first start, where do they go to for their setups and, and what's involved. But first, a um, bit of a roundup of what's been going on. There's been a bit of controversy out there in the um, e-sports land or e-racing land. One driver, Formula E. Um, uh, Abt, Abt, or Abt, I can't, can't pronounce his name, it's A-B-T. Um, he got caught... Uh, well, he wasn't actually racing. He got a pro sim to race for him in his rig and um, basically tried to fool the system, so to speak. And um, he got caught because he didn't turn up for the press conference, basically. His, his camera was obscured. That was a bit weird. But then when he come third and they said, let's have a chat, he wasn't there. So they're going, what's going on? Something's going on. And he got caught. Fined 10,000 euros. Tell you what, this racing is getting pretty serious, guys. It absolutely is, Nev, and um, yeah, quite surprising to to see a, a pro driver blatantly cheating like that and, and getting caught out. And we know that it gets pretty competitive, even in the in the sim racing world. There's occasionally rumours of um, some ghost driving with various different logins to to get some lap times in qualification series. But um, yeah, to see it at, at that pro level, and and I think it was great to see a the a compulsory donation of ten thousand euros that um, he's had to make as well. It looks like the series themselves, are, the organisers, are taking it seriously, which is good to see. Well, yeah, this is and this was the Berlin round of the race. It was a little bit more sedate than the other couple of other rounds with crashes and all that kind of stuff. But um, I'm surprised that they're taking it that seriously. They've gone from oh, it's just a game to okay, I'm going to get a pro sim racer to try and help me win. I mean, what's going on? Well, I think that you you have to look at this from the the organisers' point of view, and they've got sponsorship arrangements. The sponsors want to get their their value. Um, you know, they want their drivers to drive. The drivers and teams have their own sponsors. So this is really important to, to drivers and teams. So for someone to come out and do that is 
it really shows a fair bit of disrespect for uh, for what the organisers are trying to do with a with a series in the, in the off season. We'll call it. Uh, I don't know. The pro races they're having a lot of trouble adjusting to this online world. It's not quite what they thought it was. They thought it would be a little bit of fun, a little bit of banter. It's obviously gotten a little serious. But then again, race drivers want to win, whether it's probably digital or in real life. Yep. <laughs> so goes on, mist comes down, and away they go. <laughs> but also, I wanted to touch on the Aussie mixed and fixed, the GTs. Dude, not a good race for you. No, no, Fusion Sim Racing did very well in the end with a, a second, third, and a fourth in uh, Sunday night's racing, which was excellent for the team result. Um, yeah, I had a bit of a, we'll call it a brain fart on lap one and, and caused a bit of a pile-up. So uh, thankfully, I don't do that very often and had to recover back to 15th. So, What positions did you start? Uh, I think I started ninth in that race. Qualified so had, ninth. And then, you, what, yeah, you had a bit of a kerfuffle, you had a slowdown, or did you have a stop-go? Oh, no, I definitely got a penalty for that one. It was, it was, the incident was my fault and uh, caused a bit of a, a decent wreck at the start there on lap one. So I had to, uh, had to do a drive-through on the next lap after the flag went green. So that put me down, I think, in around 30th position, 31st or something. So after that, it was, um, it was uh, full aggression just to try and get, get past as many guys as I could cleanly at, at Gilles Villeneuve, which is not easy. It's a tricky track, that one, to uh, overtake on. But, yeah, there was a bit of attrition ahead, so somehow managed to, to scrape a 15th out of it. So what does the champion look like for you at the moment? Uh, yeah, I had a quick look at the points last night and assuming there's no more penalties to be dished out to, uh, to people like me. Um, I think I'm still leading by about 15 or 16 points going into the last round this Sunday night. So, so how, you, how many points were you leading by going into this round? Oh, I can't honestly remember. I think... Um, like 10 points or something? I think I might have been 10 points up or 10 points behind, actually. So this is a series where there is, there's two drop rounds. So you can basically scrap your worst result for a sprint race and an, and an enduro race throughout the season of, of 12 rounds. So uh, that round might have just been my drop round and uh, thankfully hasn't affected the points too much and really thankful, actually, that it didn't affect uh, second and third places position in the championship either. So, look, any all, all three of us, the top three, could probably take it out on Sunday night, depending on the the race results. It'll be it'll be pretty exciting, I think. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Moving on, I also wanted to talk about the latest round of the Supercars E Series that was at Charlotte's uh, Charlotte Speedway, um, and. Did you catch any of the supercars race, Nathan? I did, and um, I'm pretty sure Byron probably caught a little bit of it as well. Um, but I think the, the racing was, was good. It was really good to see the cars on an oval. Uh, I thought that was great fun. I, I, like, I wanted to ask you about that. What did you think of the oval racing? I, I really thought it added a, an interesting twist to that series because a lot of Australians are NASCAR fans, and I think watching those V8 supercars go around that oval track was the closest we're going to get to... Uh, a bunch of Aussies doing NASCAR again. We don't have Oscar at uh, at Calder Park, the Thunderdome anymore. That was a long time ago. So, and Marcus Ambrose isn't in NASCAR anymore either. <laughs> so, that's right. Um, yeah, the racing was—it's really different. Oval racing is quite different. There's different strategy. There's a lot of drafting. It's um, yeah, it's a different beast altogether. And I think it was a good challenge for everyone. I really like the oval race. Um, and then they did this. They did another two races, which was the oval and the flat circuit. Walls. But I really liked the the oval race. It was just the closest racing I reckon they've had all year. 
it wasn't just one or two drivers battling it out. It was like five drivers racing for the lead, which is kind of refreshing as well. So I would yeah. like to see more, but they're having a fan vote now to see uh, which rounds go in the f- or a couple of rounds in the future. And it looks like an oval's in the voting process, but I don't think it's going to get voted in. I'm surprised people don't vote for an oval because it was one of the best races of the series so far, I thought. Yeah, and it really did give... Um some of the other drivers down the grid a little bit, uh, a little bit more of a chance just because of the drafting. So as long as you could keep up with a, you know, a reasonable distance to cars in front, the draft could pull you around the track and, and really help you. So it was a little bit more about racecraft and strategy than outright pace. And I think um, that's what made, yeah, the oval race interesting for me. I did notice that they had the crash damage turned off for the full oval race. Yeah, yeah, no, that was um, like they did for the celebrity race the other night, <laughs> which which was good, I think. At least it meant that people could could keep driving, and you know, if you're going to have an accident, you're going to lose a heap of positions anyway. So, um, you know, don't ruin the night for someone. Let them get back on and have a crack at it. Continue with supercars at the moment. We just wanted to get the results, or not the results, but the points table of the championship because I think Van Gisbergen won the last three races, which was at Charlotte. Yeah, he had a great result. Um, drove really well. He's he's really recovered a bit and driven well since the start of the season. So the leaderboard I have up here in front of me now shows Van Gisbergen with nine wins for the season to Scott McLaughlin's four. So he's in the lead now, 64 points ahead of Scott. Cameron Waters in third and Anton still struggling with uh, incidents that may or may not be his fault in races is in fourth position. Absolutely. But the races tend to be, when all said and done, Anton and Van Gisberg would tend to be the two fighting it out. I see them together a lot, whether they're first or second. In the, they've shown themselves as, as the two standouts at the moment as far as pace goes, slightly ahead of Scott McLaughlin. But um, a big shout-out to Davey Reynolds. He had a, he had a great race in, at uh, the road course and finished, I think it was fifth in the end, fifth or sixth, and, yeah, real improvement. So great to see Davey up there. And, and Chaz really showing some good speed as well. So certainly a few of these pro drivers, um, yeah, giving the sim racing uh, a real crack, real, real crack and having a, a good go at it. Oh, and it's great to see as well in other news. Uh, we have the, the BP uh, E-Series competition to um, to get a sim racer into the next round. Forzan El Nabi won that one. So I know Forzan's been driving in the supercar a lot on iRacing for the last you know, two or three years and having some great results. So if you uh, if you want to see uh, a sim racer take it to the pro races uh, on Wednesday night in the next round of the E-Series. So what's his name again? Forzan Anabi. Forzan El Nabi. Yeah, very fast, uh, young guy and um, some great potential. So I really, really expect he'll be up near the pointy end. We'll keep an eye on him there. Sticking with it, Win Cup. Was there was talk that he may be too busy to continue the racing series? It looks like it's just come out that he's going to continue finish off the rounds or finish off the races, which is good. And they're already, I see that uh, they've got their wild cards are being announced now. Um, Golding is uh, in as a wild card for this week's race. And uh, finally, the only other thing is Norris is probably not going to be in any more rounds. He's gotten too busy. So Wind Cup stays in, but Norris leaves the series, which is a pity because we've been enjoying him. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's entertaining and obviously a fast driver and gets on pretty well with a bunch of those the VA drivers. They, they race together online a bit these days. So, yeah, disappointing that he's not continuing. Talk about going fast. I want to get into our subject for tonight. It's really only one subject we're going to talk about mainly, and it's all about car setup. And that's why I've got Byron, because Byron is new to this as well. But um, I want to start this off. 
Nathan, let's say I've bought my steering wheel, I bought my pedals, I've got it home, couldn't wait to get out of the box, got the game going, chose a car, played it in automatic because I couldn't be bothered setting anything up, done a few laps. Um, what do I do to go faster? How can I go faster? Where do I start to go faster? There's all these different things I can change. We talk about all the setups and the changes of some of these cars and obviously the, the, the faster the car, the more complicated the setup is. I mean, where do you start? Well, it's a big, um, it's a big topic, Nev, and uh, it's one that we can get stuck into and have a chat with Byron in a minute. Um, first things off off the bat, I, I've seen the way you drive on the road, so I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know how fast we can get you to go on a racetrack, but um, we can work towards that. I think I think you're right. Look, the first thing you want to do is is calibrate your gear, your wheel and pedals, and there's a process to go through in iRacing and, and other games as well. And it's a little bit of, you know, trying a few things out. So if you hop on Google and, and Google best wheel, you know, G27 or G29 settings for iRacing, there'll be a bunch of articles there from different people who've suggested the, the best force feedback settings and that sort of thing. Um, but ultimately, that's not going to make a big difference early on. I think the best thing to do is to do practice sessions, and that's just to start a private session, pick a car like the MX-5. I think in iRacing, the MX-5, series is is the entry level road series that you do byron's nodding his head there or for our listeners um i know he's been working on that um but I yeah, raced I was, that series about five times before before i did anything else i just liked the feel of that car and i didn't want to try anything else i was too scared so the first car you drove was the mx5 uh it was a pontiac and then the mx5 yeah, yeah everybody seems to go from the solstice to the mx5 real quick yeah, I, I think the MX-5 gives you the, gives you the best sort of feel of handling in iRacing early on, probably better than the, the Solstice or the Slostice, as we sometimes call it. <laughs> I'd, I'd literally start out, you get, get even turn the racing line on. iRacing's got an option where you can, you can show the racing line. It'll give you a, a line that's green when you should be accelerating, red when you should be braking. That can give you a bit of idea. But I think the number one tip for beginners early on is to focus less about being fast more about just being consistent and making mistakes. And especially when you're in the rookie classes, and Byron can probably attest to this, if you're doing a race, half of the challenge is avoiding other people's accidents and staying out of the way of trouble and just keeping a, a clean car. And I think you, you probably agree with that, Byron. Yeah, well, that, that was the thing for me when I did the Erebus Challenge was going in from doing hours of practice just on my own to suddenly I've got, I could come out of the pits and there could be another car roaring down the straight. Uh, you just got to learn how to deal with um, new people and people being around you and what kind of drivers the other people are as well. Like how aggressive are they? Some people are already coming to this with the racecraft and finding that eh, on the racecraft's a little bit different online as well. In the digital world, you get pinged if you, Nathan can probably clarify. If you tap someone, do you get a slowdown automatically if you tap someone in iRacing? It's a bit different. I think titles like Gran Turismo Sport make an attempt to penalise people if there's contact with another car or excessive contact. Poor attempt. (laughs) Poor attempt. Um, iRacing leaves it up to the incident count. So you get a certain number of incidents per race that you can accumulate. And so a gentle tap with another car or if you very lightly scrape the wall um, through Sulman Park in the V8, you might get a 0x, which is, you know, a close shave. But if you hit someone hard, you'll you'll maybe get four incident points. So eventually, if you accumulate all those points and you hit the total for that race, you'll get a drive-through penalty for it. Yeah. So when you get, 
I know we've got off track a little bit. When you get slowdowns, is that from cutting corners as opposed to hitting someone? Yeah, yeah, that, okay. that's from a, a course cut. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay, you get a little black flag in your corner, and you get your oh. spotter on the radio telling you to slow down. I hate that. Hate that. And then, it, really? and then you got to slow down for however many seconds you gained off cutting that corner. Getting back into setup. Let's say I've been on that, and like we just the stuff we're talking about. So we got used to it. Okay. We've uh, played around with a couple other cars, but it kind of got the driving, started getting into, let's start using manual because we all know manual, it's faster. Where do I go? Like, I understand that certain people have different driving styles. You touched on it last week, Nathan, when you, when we talked about setting up a team of guys driving the one car, let's say Le Mans, you, you, you've got to think about everybody's different driving style. With that in mind, how do you start understanding how to go setting up the car for Where do you start? I guess the first place to start is, you know, iRacing provides some, what they call a baseline setup that's yeah. available for the car. And that is usually fairly neutral sort of setup. So it won't oversteer too much. It won't understeer too much. Um, it's designed to be fairly approachable. And then I'd start with that, really get familiar with the car, like Byron's been doing in the MX-5, um, you know, unless you really start to get an understanding or develop a knowledge on, you know, what's going to happen if I change the spring rates on the front or if I if I change the ride height at the rear or, you know, things like that. If you don't know what, what is going to happen, you're sort of you're taking a stab in the dark when you make changes like that. So early on, I'd say stick with the baseline setup. Um, the best resource for me when I was really learning was, honestly, was probably watching other people drive on YouTube just to see the racing lines they took, what series they competed in. They'd usually record races of the track that was you know, around that week, especially in like GT3 or GT racing. It's pretty popular. And you can watch the lines they take, what gear they're in. You can look at their brake pedal and, and how they're applying the brake for each corner. And that really started to give me some more ideas on, oh, I should be you know, thinking about that's a long straight after that corner. So I should be looking to get the best exit possible and not worrying so much about my corner entry speed. So it's just building up knowledge about the track and the car and, and how to optimise a lap, I guess. I'd, I'd be doing that before I started really trying to fiddle with setups. So another thing getting uh, used to it and the experience is, they talked, you talked about setting up your own session and just, just practicing, doing laps and stuff like that. And um, I heard someone say, do some races with the AIs or the SIM cars or whatever they're called, right, the computer cars. So that's going to teach you also how to race in amongst other cars. Yeah, and you've done a bit of that so far, Byron? Yeah, I've done a, done a fair bit, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, iRacing has AI, the, the AI cars that you can race against, so you don't have to worry about crashing into other real people and annoying them when you're practicing and uh, it, it's a great way to practice and I think you've been doing a bit of a bit of practice with the AI Byron and iRacing how, how have you found that they're pretty aggressive they're the computer's been set up pretty aggressively like they're not afraid to take a dive at you around a corner that probably you can't have a, a move in but yeah it's it, interesting as a starting point because you as you said before you just learn how to act around other cars and be careful not to hit people or how to make moves on cars as well. Yeah, yeah. I think you can change the settings for the AI as well so you can make them less experienced or faster or slower and whatever. And I've, I've tried them out a few times and, yeah, I think they're, they're good for actually learning racecraft because if you don't have a background in, in racing and all you've been doing is playing, you know, Forza on the Xbox or, you know, Grand Theft Auto or something, the whole racecraft thing is is 
it's another thing altogether. It's one thing to be able to do hot laps and set a good lap time. It's completely different when you're in a racing situation with other drivers and, you know, your adrenaline gets going because you know these are other real people with emotions in these other cars, simulated cars, and there's often uh, some swearing and carrying on if something happens and someone does the wrong thing. Okay. I found in the Erebus Challenge that if I, uh, me being the inexperienced person that I am, if I accidentally went too deep into a corner and ended up hitting someone off, I could expect at some point for that person to hit me back off the track. That's you know, real life. You always got to have a little thing in your brain that someone's going to want revenge at some point in some way yeah. or another. Race car drivers have pretty good memories, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> they remember everything. <laughs> Especially um, the rookie levels where the like if people in my age are racing, they don't really care what happens to the car, so they will do whatever they want to do to get revenge if they have to. Yeah, I think it's a bit. It's a bit of a race to get out of rookies and into some higher license levels, especially if you're serious about improving. So, um, yeah, try and keep it clean. Keep out of trouble. Get your D license, your next license level in iRacing, and that, that opened up a few other opportunities. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to move this on. I'm getting lots of people asking about the force feedback in the steering wheel. Is there a starter's way of going about setting that up? And I mean, what's a beginner's guide to setting up force feedback for your steering wheel? Um, the force feedback, I guess, is pretty straightforward. Most wheels are going to work okay out of the box when you plug them in and configure them because most sim or racing titles can recognise each type of wheel. So usually the default settings are enough. If you really want to go the extra mile, there, there are a few small applications out there that you can find that will sort of help you, I guess, optimise some of the feedback and feeling through the wheels. But that tends to only be for high-end direct drive wheels, which are, you know, $1,000, $2,000 plus setups. But you know, for the wheel that you've got, Nev, and you know, even the wheel that I've got, which is a, a Thrustmaster T500, yeah, the standard settings out of the box are, are pretty good. You, you tend to say you like a bit more feedback than normal force. Um, look, I, I, I like it to be, as, I guess, as realistic as possible, and I like the force feedback to be as detailed as possible. So that can vary you know, with each wheel, you know, how it feels. So a, a Logitech wheel will always feel a bit different to a Thrustmaster, which will feel different to a Fanatec and so on. But everyone will have their, their preferences. At the end of the day, you know, I think we mentioned in the last episode, a steering wheel is not the be-all and end-all of, of speed. Proper pedals, having a good brake pedal especially, uh, can be really beneficial to finding some extra lap time. Just helps you with consistency and um, you know, a spring-based pedal is quite different to a good load cell-based pedal, which feels a lot more like a proper car brake pedal. So that's that's probably the first upgrade that I'd recommend if someone like you know, Byron wants to take this more seriously and really improve his lap times and, and is really enjoying the racing, then I'd be thinking longer term about, you know, a better set of pedals. Well, I was just going to get into pedals. Byron, the braking for you, what did you notice about with the braking with eye racing? Uh, well, the first time I did it, I found that it was really hard to brake. Like the, the pedal was really firm and it was really hard to push down on. And I just couldn't really understand or couldn't get the right feel of how hard I had to push down or, you know, when to push down. So it was it was a really weird sensation for me starting out and seeing all these other sim races on Twitch or YouTube who seem to be pushing down and, and it's just gliding and it seems so easy to me to get my rig and just feel like, oh, you actually have to put some muscle and effort into this. So it was weird in that regard. I found racing, eye racing, I, I, my problem was I was visually, I felt I could brake later 
and then I was throwing it into the scenery every time and I had to realise I had to readjust. I had to break earlier than I thought. But perception-wise, I just felt like I could go deeper. The best way to fix it is just more laps and, you know, you've got to consider that the the depth and speed perception and the lack of G-force in a sim, just it takes some adjusting to for your brain to get into that pattern of this is where I have to brake, this is how fast the car's going. Um, you know, there's a few little things that I do, like in the sound settings for most sims, um, I might turn off some of or turn right down some of the sound effects that are not important, unimportant to me. The ones that I might turn up a little bit more might be uh, the tyres, so I can hear if tyres are sliding or locking up or, or ABS. I might have the engine note turned up a little bit more than some of the other sounds, so I use some of that feedback to, to work out when to brake, what's happening with the tyres, uh, and that sort of thing. And there's also visual cues. So like in a in a GTE car, for example, you'll have lock-up lights uh, on the dash. So when you are braking at the threshold, you can, you'll start to see the lights flicker. So that, that gives you a visual indication as well as to how hard you're braking at that point on the track. So before then, it's just getting that muscle memory of how hard to push the pedal you know, do I trail break into that corner and training yourself to do that repetitively over and over again until it becomes a little bit of second nature. You hop into the sim and it's like you've just hopped into a different type of car. So that's, that's sort of how it feels to me. Setting up the pedal box for the right feel, I mean, how hard, you talk about muscle memory and all that, but how hard are you pressing the pedal uh, in braking just before you're locking up? I mean, it, it can be pretty hard. You can walk away with a limp, in other words, because you're using that, that leg so much. How do you set that up? How do you figure that out? Or is it just trial and error? Okay, look, every, every set of pedals is different. So you know, at the lower end of the range, you know, the value end, I would call it like your Logitech sort of setup, mm. it's got a softer brake. It's a, a linear sort of spring. So that's just muscle memory, and you won't have to really push that pedal too hard. No. Up into other um, pedals like the, the Thrustmaster load cells, um, which are I think they're around four hundred and fifty dollars at the moment in the market. Fanatec V3s, which are load cell pedals, which are the ones that I use, which are about five hundred and fifty. They're pedals where you can use up to sort of 80, 90 kilos of brake force to get maximum brake pressure, and you can configure that. So you can you can um, configure those pedals to be full brake pressure could only be fifty kilos or forty kilos if that's what feels best to you so you adjust the pedals to how you like them and then after that it's just getting it's adjusting to each car so every car might have a different peak brake threshold an lmp1 car might be and is completely different in the way you brake compared to an mx5 or a gte car so again it's just doing laps in the car and getting used to it and, and maybe we could talk about this soon maybe going to that next level and having a look at some of your actual telemetry and car data just to see how you are breaking into a corner compared to other people. What actually is the difference between a spring or a load cell? I think you said it was called. What's the difference between those kinds of pedals? So with a, a spring-based pedal, um, what you'll find is that a similar level of force is required to push the pedal from 0% up to 100%. So the actual brake amount or well, the, you know, the brake force is measured by the position of the pedal. Uh, a load sensor or a load cell measures the amount of force you are pushing into the brake to determine how hard you're braking. And those pedals, the way they're built, they feel a little bit more like, like a road car. The, the first part of the brake is quite soft. And as you push harder and harder, you, you imagine the pads are really biting into the disc. 
there's a lot more pressure you know to feel so it gives you it gives you more finesse when you're braking and it's a lot harder to lock up the tires because to lock up you've got to push that pedal <laughs> you know so for some pedals pretty bloody hard to, to do it so I certainly find it gives me a bit more consistency anyway and yeah, you're quite welcome to come over and, and try them out Byron and, and see if that helps your uh, your braking yeah to me that sounds like more like real life yeah, uh, yeah that's that sounds more comfy to me as well yeah, yeah it's what's all about is trying to get it as, as close to reality as possible. Well, you're all trying to break your cars or break a car to the point just before it locks up. So you're always trying to get to that point like, oh, right on the edge, will it lock up? Well, not. So I find, well, I believe you feel a lot of that through the through the pedal. So I like the one where the harder you push, the harder it pushes back. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, okay. Going back to what you said before about how you like authenticity or trying to get the most authenticity out of your pedals or your wheel. How do you do something like that? So how could you get a really realistic feel out of a wheel for your sim? Well, that's a really good question, actually. Um, a lot of it comes down to the sim itself. So that comes down to the way the sim models the forces that should be sent to the wheel. Uh, iRacing does a reasonable job of that. There are some other titles like Assetto Corsa and so on that, that do a really good job as well. Um, and Auto Mobilista is another title that, that has some pretty good force feedback. If that sim is sending that high fidelity sort of information to the wheel, like a direct drive wheel, which has no belts or anything, it's just literally a DC motor that you're holding onto with a wheel, you can feel when, when a tyre hits a kerb, that wheel will vibrate like you're running over a kerb. So a lot of it comes down to the engineers and developers in these games to try and make sure that feedback is feels as natural as possible. And, and that it's so important for sim racing because most of the feeling you get is through the wheel. So, yeah, some of it's the quality of the wheel, but I think most of it comes down to the sim itself and, and the data it gives you. Cool. One more thing, we'll probably come into, we'll probably spend a bit of time, so I'll think about wrapping this up pretty soon. But... Another thing I wanted to talk about, which we haven't really mentioned, seat. Is there any ideas, preference of seat? Sure, I know people, I'm, I'm desperate enough to sit on a milk crate, right, if I want to race. I've never seen some great setups, Sim, Sim Racing Australia or Facebook or whatever the thing. It's just some setups are fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about seats. You obviously want to be comfortable. What do you use, Nathan? Uh, I... Um I used to use a, an old kitchen chair before I could afford anything else. Uh, but, you know, the problem is when you start trying to push on a brake pedal, the chair moves and things like that. So the next step no up. problem. That's exactly right. And that won't be helping the lap times, I can tell you. Yeah, the next step up for me was a, I bought a Pagnian GT Ultimate um, sim rig. So that comes with a, with a seat. The rig itself is fairly sturdy and bolted together. But, yeah, you'll... If you have a look around online, you'll see a, a huge variety of milk crates, kitchen chairs. Um, you know, Rick Kelly used a camping chair in the A-series. <laughs> that's great. Um, but, yeah, you, you want something that's sturdy and, and stable, really. It's, you want something that's flex and move around. Did you notice an improvement when you changed your seats? Oh, moving from a kitchen chair? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, if I was to change seats now, it'd, it'd be more for comfort. Um, the rig itself is fairly stable and, and pretty strong, but um, I, I'd be changing a seat more for comfort. Right, your lap times improve moving to the proper proper race seat from the kitchen chair. That's pretty obvious, right? 
It does, yeah, yeah. It gives you more more confidence. You know, everything's bolted together. Your pedals won't flex or move. The steering wheel doesn't wobble on the desk and that sort of thing. It, that makes a big difference. Yeah, cool. I think you can find some companies that sell rigs and seats and stuff like that for specific kinds of racing. So I think the guys that sponsor Lando Norris and all his stuff have a specific one for GT racing or F1 racing or just casual racing or whatever you want to do. Fairly expensive, but they do have ones for specific kinds of the racing that you want to be doing. Nathan, have you adjusted your seat for the style of car you're racing in or is it one one position that's it? Not really. It's, it's pretty much one position. I just want to try and find a comfortable position for my, yeah, my, my legs for braking and so on and make sure the wheel's about the right distance away and, um, and just leave it like that. Okay. Last thing I just want to touch on. When you're sitting in the car, and let's, let's stick with eye racing on this. When you're sitting in the car and you're, you're racing, you can adjust the view a little bit. I've noticed some people like to sit right down the car where they're practically looking over the steering wheel and you can't see much more than that. And then some people like to sit up a bit more and probably see a little bit more of a bonnet. How much adjustment do you have of your driver viewing angle in, in eye racing? It's... It's a pretty infinite amount of adjustment, really. So in iRacing, you're always sitting in the car. So so you can't not... do the out car like some of the arcade games. You can't do an out car view and race. No, you can't race like that in iRacing. So here <laughs> you're, sitting, you're sitting inside the car, but uh, you can adjust the seating position of yourself in that virtual car. So you can go forwards and backwards, up and down, left and right. And so you can find a, a, a position that you can save for each car you hop into that, that works well for you. But you can also adjust, especially if you have a, you know, you, you, you need the ability to adjust the field of view. So if you've got a monitor that's further away, monitors that are closer or three screens, you want to be able to adjust the, the zoom and the field of view so that when you sit in your rig or in front of your wheel, that it, it looks like you're in the right-sized vehicle, the right-sized car, and everything's in the right perspective and proportion. So that definitely helps sort of immerse you in the experience. Cool. That's pretty much answered my question. Okay, gentlemen, uh, it's time. Appreciate the uh, input. Nathan, thanks for joining us. Byron, uh, appreciate the, uh, uh, keeping us up to date and um, we'll catch up with you guys next week. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Stay safe on the racetrack. <laughs> See you guys. E-Racing X has been produced for Motorsport 360, the app, by Big Hair Productions. You've been listening to Nathan Huppets, Byron Clark and Neville Wilkinson. The song you're listening to is Electric Cars by Dave Butt and all other production and sound design is by yours truly. You can get E-Racing X from most good podcast destinations including Anchor, Spotify and iTunes. For extended interviews, stories and all other extras, you can view and listen at our website eracingx.com. As always, thanks for listening and take care of yourselves.